You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2000 film Unbreakable. So this film follows a man named David Dunn. In the beginning we see he's on a train um, heading back to Philly from New York. And as he's reading there, he see as he's sitting there, a woman sits by, and he becomes attracted to her. He ta- he's married, but he takes the wedding ring off, tries to flirt with her. She turns him down and leaves him. And right as that is about to happening, a the train speeds up very fast and then crashes. Yeah, we don't see the crash. Yeah, we just see him realizing, uh oh, something's wrong. And I kind of like that scene because as he's flirting with this uh, girl, uh, 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 this woman, uh, this little girl in the seat ahead of him is kind of watching him do this. And she knows what's going on. And she just gives him this, are you kidding me look, you know? But then he looks at her and she's got this panicked look. And then he realizes that the train's traveling very fast. And then it just... It doesn't show the crash. I think that's very effective, by the way. Yeah, and I forgot, that's not the opening scene of this movie. The opening scene takes place in the early 60s. This woman is giving birth in like a department store or something. Yeah. And the doctor is called in, and the doctor gives a look at the baby and knows that both of his bones have been broken and there's something seriously wrong with the baby. Yeah. So that, But that's a flashback, and this is taking forward in the present. Right. And... Anyway, he wakes up. He's in a hospital, and in the he's in the background. This is a brilliant shot. He's mm-hmm. in the background. The foreground, we're seeing this operation on this other person, other person with the train crash. Yeah, the only other survivor of the crash. Yeah. And they're operating on him, but you can tell it just it's just not it's hopeless. Yes, and, and so you this see makes, him his last breaths, and then you also see blood kind of spreading in the covering uh, the cover there. Again, mm-hmm. very effective. Yes, yeah. and then what we're looking at David Dunn, there's not even a scratch on him. And even the doctor is, he's consistently like, where were you sitting? Did you get up? He doesn't, you can't explain how this guy out of everyone else not only survived, but is pretty much okay. Yeah. There's not even a scratch or a concussion or anything. Yeah. So after that, he comes back home and we first he has a son and his he's married but it looks like they're trying to go through a divorce he was going on that trip to search a job in new york to leave philly yes but um then later on he attends the funeral services because everyone else on that train died and while he's attending the services somebody leaves a little note on his car window saying how many times have you been sick in your life he asks his wife and his kid they don't really remember he asks his employer because he is a security guard at a football stadium. He, see, he figures it's he says, "All right, you didn't you didn't take any days off. I'll give you you know a hundred dollar a week raise." Yeah, the boss takes it as an yeah, opening a, gambit and uh, 
negotiations to get a raise. Again, a very clever part yes. of the film there. And eventually, he the card leads him to a man named Elijah. Yeah. And we find out through more flashbacks, Elijah was that baby. Yes. He was born with this condition where... Apparently he doesn't the something wrong with his bones where they don't produce enough fiber to make them strong like everyone else's has and he's very brittle. He's had many breaks in his life and he walks around with a cane and if he gets hurt too much he has to be stuck in a wheelchair. Yeah. And he realize and he's but he also has this obsession with comic books cuz when he was no. a boy he wa- didn't want to leave the house because of his condition cuz he was afraid he was going to get hurt. But one of the, the tactics his mom used to get him out of the house was out right outside the house in the little playground area. She would give him a comic book every yeah. day. And it's the only way he could get that is he had to go out there and get it. And over that, he develops this obsession with comic books. He's, you know, he's a complete expert. He sees them as pieces of art. Yes. And he even gets offended when the funny, the one guy wanted to buy it for his like four year old kid. And he goes on this rant like, this is not a toy store. Yeah. You, you are mistaken. Yeah. And he, he seems to have uh, developed uh, some sort of a theory that uh, the stories in comic books uh, amount to some sort of very um, modified and uh, fictionalized version of ancient stories like greek mythology something like like greek mythology or whatever but he's got this notion that there's a kernel of truth to those kinds of stories um in that uh the uh, characters in those stories have what we would simply call superpowers these days like superheroes and he actually contextualizes that sort of uh history or belief system uh, with his own case, thinking along lines, he doesn't say it quite this explicitly, but thinking along the lines of um, uh, kind of naturalistic theories of genetics. You know, he says, you know, uh, he he talks uh, with David about this. Done. He says, you know, look, there's like a spectrum of cases. I'm on the really low end, where uh, mutations or whatever have really done me in and, and made me less fit to survive. Well, doesn't it stand to reason that a vast majority of the populace will be some kind of in the middle gray area where nothing too deleterious has happened to them? They haven't suffered any serious mutational damages. Isn't there a chance that on the far end of that spectrum, opposite me, on the positive side, so to speak, are these people have kind of won the genetic lottery in a way and the mutations have actually increased functionality and made them uh, 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 superior uh, physically to where they can't be injured or so forth. Uh, and, and clearly he's set, we, we see this progression with his character that he, he kind of adopted this point of view, this belief and, makes it spoiler alert coming kind of his mission in life to find those few on the positive side yes, of that, that spectrum how he meets he, he goes to the uh dunn goes to the comic book art store meets elijah and he tells him like if there's someone like me out there there must be someone like you and i've been waiting because there's been a number of, di- of disasters a plane crash other he mentions it and he says i was waiting for that one word in the headline it's one survivor uh, unharmed. 
Yeah. And he found it with this. And so he thinks that he has a purpose, that there is a purpose for him. Yep. And w- going to that meeting, he takes his son along. And so his son now also is buying into that idea that his dad is a superhero. And one of the things he does to test out this theory, which is another fun scene in the movie, is his dad, he's wor- helping his dad work out lift weights. Yeah. And he keeps, and he's saying, and he does like 250 pounds. And he goes, you could have hurt me with that. That's more than I've ever done. Take some weights off. But he doesn't know that his son is putting more weights on. Yeah. He's still lifting. He's still he's got this strength. And when they've run out of lifts, he even adds like paint cans, full paint cans to add weights. And his dad is still doing that. And he's more buying into the fact yeah. that he's a superhero. But in even at the stadium where he works at the football stadium, um, Elijah tells him that you know you because you are uh, you know you work as a security guard and he talks about even had he's these like a, a no pun intended for a Shyamalan movie but a sixth sense yeah yeah he can tell like what if some like if somebody's gonna bring a gun or if somebody's doing doing dealing drugs in the bathroom or something he has the sense that like yeah. this guy's up to no good I, we need to yeah take him out of the stadium and he keeps t- asking him because he's uh, Dunn's telling him about this or he sees him doing it. He says, how, how is it that you have this ability? And we'll just say, well, you just kind of know and so forth. And you, you, you see as the uh, story develops that uh, he is, uh, to, to use that point of view of um, that Glass, uh, Elijah, mm-hmm. he's also called Mr. Glass, remember? Yeah, but the the kids Mr. picked Glass. on him when he was young because of his condition, and they called him Mr. Glass. So uh, he's adopted that. Um, but he says, you know, uh, you know, it, it's more than just a coincidence that you're able to do this and, and kind of uh, in, intuit that people are fishy. Like, and they have, and they have a case of two, two cases, one of a guy in, in camouflage that looks suspicious. And he says, wait for that guy. If, he, if, he's, got, if, he's, if he's packing something, he's going to get out of line before he gets up to us. Sure enough, he does. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Glass wanting to confirm his suspicions about uh, David Dunn's supernatural ability there, right? He trails after him and right. he falls, once again breaking his legs. Yes. But as he looks, he sees that the guy was carrying, carrying a gun. Yes, of the description yeah. that Dunn mentioned. Mm-hmm. Right. And Elijah gets more and more pressing. He starts not only that, but because his Dunn's wife is a physical therapist. And after he's got this injury, he uses the perfect excuse to start talking her and, and uh, asking about their things. And they brought up that because Dunn was a star football player for the, that known college football powerhouse, Temple University. <laughs> but, um, he was a big star quarterback there, but he had an injury that ended his career because they got into a car accident with his wife. Yeah. And she also said she didn't really want to you know how long they were going to be together because she doesn't like anybody who plays football because it's too violent. Yeah. And, he, you know, he says that, and then Dunn also brings up to Elijah that, you know, when I was a kid, I drank some water in a pool, and it's, I had pneumonia, and I almost drowned. Yeah. He says, well, I'm not superhuman. I, I do get sick. Yeah. And, but the kid, all his kid is going taking it to extreme where he loads a gun and points it at him, trying to test the theory, but yeah. Dunn doesn't want to believe it. Yeah. But his son he, is convinced. Yeah. yeah. And he's trying to argue... Uh, 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 with his son and Elijah, that he's not a superhero. And he does point out this this fact that he almost drowned as a kid, um, 
Which is explained away as as all superhero weaknesses are explained away. That is your kryptonite. That is the one weakness you have. You know, you Shyamalan can't... in water. Yeah, Shyamalan in water. Yes, definitely. Um, and uh, you know, you can't expect to win the, the as it were the uh, all seven balls of the genetic lottery. You only won five, so water is your sixth ball that didn't quite make it. Yeah. Um, that that's but, true, and then but he knows something that really kind of uh, uh, eats at him. He knows the story that he was injured in the car accident is a fabrication. Yeah, he made it up just to so he could stay with his wife. He yes. figured it's more important than his football career. Right. He was not again. He was not injured at all in that accident, and he actually pries the car open as it's burning and pulls her out and saves her life. Uh, we find that out in a flashback later in the film, of course. But uh, he he has that memory in mind, and it, it makes him think, well, you know, maybe Elijah's on to something here. Maybe my son's on to something here. After all, I did end up lifting 375 pounds, including the paint cans. Um, and I do seem to have these premonitions that are very specific in nature. They're like visions once I make physical contact with people. Uh, so, you know, maybe they're on to something. And then, which leads to near the end of the movie, he tries out. He goes to a train station, people rub against him, and he sees many people do different things. One's a pickpocket, one commits rape, one commits a hate crime. Yeah. But he gets, he catches this one guy who's a killer, he's a serial killer. He broke into this person's house and killed them, and he follows the guy, and he's still in the act of doing it. He killed the family, but the children are still alive. Yeah. And the guy throws him first through the pool it breaks through and he's about to drown with his one weakness but the kids save him yeah and then he goes and takes on the guy and kills him and saves the children his act is reported in the newspaper saving the children it is even a sketching of him and he shows it to his son and he's somewhat he seems to finally have reconnected with his wife and they've made up and it's see he's going to elijah's um gala he's opened for all the comic book portraits and he, but he, t- he shakes Glass's hand, uh, Mr. Glass's hand, or shakes Elijah's hand, saying, yeah. well, because Elijah tells him to. And then he has the premonitions like all these recent tragedies, including the uh, train crash that he was on, was caused by Mr. Glass. He was doing this in order to find that headline, find that person, so that would give him meaning in his life. Yeah. And then in the. My main criticism of the movie, it ends a little bit abruptly with, I call it, Animal House ending, because you just get the text that they said they turned him over to the authorities, and now he's in an asylum for the criminally insane. Yeah. And that, that that's how the movie ends, which I don't like. Yeah. But, I actually, I don't know why, I actually kind of did like the way it ended, it's just, it's even with abrupt. the text. It, it is abrupt. Um, but it might have been a little too melodramatic and comic booky to have the you know the people come and put him in a straight jacket and take him out um it was less so what i find interesting about the film in general is it tries to take the superhero um uh trope if you want to call it a trope or the story i guess and in a way oddly enough kind of bring it down to earth yeah Um, and the whole kind of naturalistic framing that they give it you know he's just kind of doing this a little bit of a demented search and research trying to find uh somebody that's kind of won that mutational lottery as opposed to him vast majority of people that 
you know, have mutations occur in their genetics, it ends up being not good for them. He's an example, but he thinks, you know, there's got to be just the kind of the mm-hmm. rules of probability. There's got to be a few cases where it really works out good for the person. He seems to be thinking that way. And it's inspired by his mom's trying to inspire him and to not be agoraphobic and, and afraid of those kids that are picking on him. And she quite innocently puts that gift out there in that playground and says, you have to go out and get it if you want to see what it is. It's a comic book. And she explains to him, you know, the, this guy has these certain powers. And that kind of plants the idea, right? Mm-hmm. So you see he grows up and he's really taken that on board. And it's actually, uh, you think he's, he's, he's managed to make a successful life, a fulfilling life out of, um, dealing the artwork that's involved in comic books and graphic novels. But you see that there's that sinister side to him because I, I didn't see the, I did not see that part coming. I liked it because you, you're thinking, okay, these guys are going to form some kind of a partnership and he's going to be kind of the brains and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the researcher and the kind of the techie guy behind the scenes who's going to help the David Dunn character be a superhero. But that's not the way it ends up being at all. Because it's a Shyamalan um, film. You got to have your twist. Got to have your twist. And, I like that he didn't twist it so much and make it sort of corny, if that's the right word, comic booky, where he's clearly kind of the 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 uh, uh, the evil. What's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, super villain. The me- super villain, megalomaniacal, Lex yeah, Luthor. Right, and yeah. who needs who needs the antagonist so that he has meaning in life. It's not quite like that. He's not looking for an antagonist. He's not Lex Luthor. He is almost just a researcher looking for that one diamond in the rough. Um, And I like that this movie treats that character that way. Mm -hmm. It makes him also more human, less comic booky, the way that they did with Dunn as well uh but unfortunately apparently um uh, you know m night Shyamalan could not leave this alone we'll, we'll, he, we'll get to those sequels later, yeah he but. made a sequel where it's more like you know glasses more like lex luthor and the, yeah. uh, just the typical we'll, we'll, bad we'll get guy into that a little yeah. bit later but um <laughs> what i do because this is i would probably unpopular opinion i would say this is probably my favorite of his movies. I like this even more than The Sixth Sense, which everyone always says is the best. Yeah. What it's what I really enjoy is that even though this is a superhero movie, this isn't like flashy superheroes. Like he's he has super strength in this like ESP Sixth Sense, but it's you know, he's not like lifting a building. He's not yeah. like the Hulk where he can put up lift a tank with just a finger. Yeah. Like he's got super strength, but he's not that strong. Yeah. And yeah. There's like there's not like you know something like say Cyclops and X Men where he's shooting laser beams yeah. out of his eyes and it, that restrained almost like not even superhuman works really well and like this was 2000 and so that I mean like in today's day and age where there's literally almost a comic book movie or series or television show out like every month mm-hmm. like this is the one where it really kind of took it seriously when you got away from like the early Christopher Reeve or Tim Burton can't be Batman and Superman. This was one that said, let's take a serious look at this. Yeah, and and again, that brings me back to the thing I like about it, too. I think we're saying the same thing. This is a a movie, clearly he's made some effort to uh, make the superhero genre 
plausible. Plausible, because almost every other superhero here, you know, kind of a implausible tale of how they got their superpowers, or they just have them. Um, you know, a bite from a radioactive spider makes you suddenly able to do all these crazy things. Uh, you're an alien. That's how come you have these crazy abilities, you know, Superman. But here, I mean, again, there's it's not quite stated as explicitly as I did, but the, 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 the premise is plausible, you know, just considering, the, as it were, the mutational genetic lottery, um, uh, according to Glass. There's bound to be. And I'm going to find him or, or them. He doesn't really say there's only has to be one, but uh, uh, one of those lucky few whose mutations have imparted uh, functional uh, advantage uh, in a single go, as it were, instead of very over the very long period of time with natural selection. You know, it's, it, it's unlikely to occur, but still it's plausible that somebody could just get really lucky with what happens with their mutations, so to speak, so that in a single um, generation, in, in the per, in the uh, person of a, a single person, um, you'd have somebody like uh, Dunn, and they don't overdo it. Like you said, he's he's got unusual abilities, at least physically, but they're not totally out there. Yeah, he can lift three hundred and seventy-five pounds. He can't lift a he can't lift a car, for instance. He has to struggle to peel that uh, door off. So that's realistic, too. And that's well in line with stories we've all heard of people under extreme stress in situations like that. Able to do superhuman things because the the adrenaline's pumping and it's infrequent. But he's able to do it more frequently, but not without effort. And he still has, a kind of, like I said, a nod to the, the genre of one weakness. He, he can't handle water that well. And by the way, I like the fact, you know, it is Shyamalan. He's got the Martians, in, or not yeah. the Martians, the, uh, aliens. the aliens in signs, for some reason not aware that this planet is uh, 75. Water. Yeah, come on. Uh, but then again, they're just thrill seekers, I think. But he, he that scene where he... Uh, uh, has the vision of this man who's uh, broken into that house and killed the two parents and holding the kids hostage, right? Uh, he knows he has to do something about that. What does he have to go through to get there? Pouring rain. Mm -hmm. He's wearing a raincoat to protect himself. The bad guy knocks him uh, out the window and onto their family pool, which happens to have a cover on it. And it's very effective, that scene. He's slowly sinking and struggling with that cover, trying to get, trying to release himself. And he can't because it's his one weakness. And then you see that, that cane reach in. He, he grabs it, pulls out those two kids. Very effective. Uh, good, good work by Shyamalan. What, what is interesting also about that scene at the station, like that's not the only criminal he comes in contact with because like i said there's a guy who commits a hate crime there's a man who was implied that he commits rape there's another woman who's a shoplifter yeah all these people who are committing crimes and he has to make a choice because he can't he's can't go after all of them at the same time so he realizes that yeah there's some people that i'm just not going to be able to get to yeah so it's just like which one do i choose which one do i yeah. say that's not as important and it's 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 kind of showing that sacrifice some people have to make where it's like yeah. i can't get everything at once yeah it, it, i like that scene too because he does have to make a choice and you can kind of see him 
mentally going, well, do I pursue this one? No. The first one he sees is the most trivial of the crimes. It's the shoplifting woman, right? No, I can't, can't bother with that. Can't bother. They get a progressively get more progressively worse, worse and he's got, he's getting more tempted. But then that one is the one that really pushes on that guy. I need to take care of now um, because several lives are at stake and he's already killed at least one. We see, we see in the vision that he killed the husband. Um, yeah, very good. And, Again, very realistic and plausible, not giving him too much powers. Um, the superhero has to make a decision. Uh, 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 it's not like he's a Flash or a Superman where he can go there and yeah. two seconds later he can take care of the other thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Uh, he, he's in the position of uh, medical personnel in emergency rooms that have to make those sorts of decisions with multiple cases. He has to do the same thing. Again, a down-to-earth superhero i like that yeah and what's interesting is you mentioned this earlier i guess we will have to bring it up the sequels well i wouldn't say sequels i just say sequel because yeah. the, in 2017 he 2016 he did a movie called split it's a completely different character about this guy who has all these like hundreds of different split personalities but basically the one thing is he one of them is called like the animal where he has like these animal-like abilities where he can crawl like super fast and he's just like done he has strength but he's a villain he kidnaps these women one of them escapes and then the police come after him and he runs loose but the very end of that movie in a post-credit scene just like every other superhero movie nowadays people are in a bar or somewhere looking at the headlines that this guy escaped and so this was similar to what that one crazy guy did. What was his name? And then it cuts over to Bruce Willis, and he says, his name was Mr. Glass. So that, and then it's, because that film was a big hit, it's a good movie, it set up Glass in 2019, and you didn't watch it. I saw it when it came out, and I did not like it at all. The big, the big problem is, the, just to summarize the plot a little bit, um, it takes place, you know, 15 so years later after the first film. His son is actually working with him, and they're running down, getting cr- catching criminals. Glass is still in an institute, but he's now going after the guy from Split. And as he's going down, they're both captured. And this woman is like a psychiatrist or something, says that, you know, you're not really superhuman. I, I specialize in people who think they have superhuman abilities. And they're basically, they're kept there. Glass somehow makes an escape because he hears that there's this new building going to be open. And he wants to cause terror and havoc and have these two guys fight out and show in their superhuman abilities. But they don't want that. So they get into a fight instead in the parking lot. And what I don't like is they kill both of them. One of the guys, there's a little puddle of water and they shove um, Dunn's head in it and drowns him and kills him. But anyway, as he's dying... The woman who the psychiatrist grabs his hands, and because the big Shyamalan twist, it reveals that she's part of this secret society that is preventing the information about superhumans from the public. She doesn't want that. So they both die, and she thinks that she succeeded in her job. Yeah. But because um, the mom, Glass's mom, she's still alive, she collaborates with this woman that escaped in the movie Split, because she feels somewhat uh, like Stockholm Syndrome wants to help the guy from Split. Yeah. And then uh, Dunn's son, they all work together. Glass planned to have this fight and escape through all these security cameras, so it's all caught on tape. The tape is uploaded to like Dunn's personal computer or something. They give it to the public. 
So it shows all these fights with the lifting of the cars and everything. Yeah. So it's so it's kind of a weird showing that superhumans exist. Yeah. The problem is if you watch the footage, it's not really because, like I said, what we liked is not flashy superpowers. He's lifting a car, but it's like world strongest man competition. That's not that doesn't you don't look at that and go superhuman powers. You go, yeah. oh, he's just really strong. Yeah. And nothing else is out there goes like it's not like they're flying or shooting laser beams out of their eyes and also like nobody's going to look at that and it's just like the twist makes no sense. I hated it. <laughs> the ending was terrible in that movie. Well, I I kind of read the negative reviews on it as well and I I think he tried too hard to make it some sort of a X-Men like story because there's there's elements of that story there. And I just think when taking the kinds of turns that that third film takes, it just turns into yet another kind of boring comic bookish type uh, superhero film. And I, I, it, it moves, I think, farther away from just this more down to earth. I keep using that phrase mm-hmm. story that this film gives us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. You can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and the Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies. Music